Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we'll be talking to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio this week, we have Jason Oakes, Sales Director of 0800 Repair and Oakes Energy Services. And down the line, we have Jack Sutcliffe, CEO and co-founder of Power Sheds, which was named in the Sunday Times fastest growing businesses this summer. And down the line and starting the programme, we've Julian Jessup, an independent economist with more than 30 uh, five years of experience gained in the public sector, the city and consultancy. He also writes for the Financial Times, the Telegraph, and he's a regular con- contributor on TV. So, Julian, we're going to start with you first. Welcome to the podcast and uh, Northern uh, Business Podcast. Tell me, as we come out of the summer, do you feel that there are any um, successes that are likely to be achieved by the government in its big economic targets? Uh, well, as far as the, the economic targets are concerned, the, the numbers set at by Rishi Sunak at the beginning of the year will, will probably just about be met. But I don't think he is going to get an enormous amount of credit for that, um, nor would he deserve it. Um, the, their big headline target was to halve the rate of inflation, which um, I think will be achieved just about. But it's very difficult to point to anything that the government itself has done to, to deliver that. It, it's basically inflation is falling because you know, the, the global economy is slowing, commodity prices are coming down. And in particular, the Bank of England has ramped up interest rates and, and slowed the economy and reduced inflation that way. Um, he's also set a target to grow the economy. Uh, well, yeah, the economy is just about growing, but you know that's not much of an achievement after the deep recession we went through during COVID. So yet again, he'll hit that, but, but so what? And finally, he set a target to you know get public debt falling as a share of national income. Um, but to be honest, I don't think people really care about that. It doesn't really cut through with, with voters. And it's a sort of target that you can fudge to hit if you wanted to anyway. So I, I think he probably will hit his economic targets, but I'm not expecting him to get any political credit for that. Well, I'm I mean, going to the full economy in a minute, but on the politics, you're, 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 I know that where, where you stand with uh, Rishi Sunak and so on, but he could have been less disciplined on public sector pay, couldn't he? That would have been difficult if he'd given in on public sector pay. That would have been inflation. Well, of course, he. I think he's actually been quite sensible there. Um, I think it was important to give public sector workers something. Um, that's not just me being a you know softy liberal here. Um, the key point is that there are big recruitment and retention problems in the public sector, just as there are in the private sector. So, uh, I think a private sector employer in a similar position would have done exactly the same thing. Um, but don't forget that you know some strikes are continuing in the in the public sector. So you know senior doctors are are on strike again, and you know one of the reasons why we've had some weaker economic data, particularly the latest set of GDP numbers. So you know, the total amount of goods and services produced in the economy is that significant parts of the public sector is still on strike. So um, I think it's too sa- too soon to sound the all clear there either. Okay, well, let's do do a bit of a data grab. There's been quite a lot over the summer. Uh, maybe people have been on holiday, not not fully appreciated where we are. Uh, in your order of priority, what would you say the key data that's come out over summer is? Well, first of all, look, looking backwards, the, the good news is that the economy 
wasn't as weak as we thought over the last few years. So there was a, a big revision to the headline numbers to the size of the economy. Um, previously, we had thought that the economy was only just returning to the same size it was before COVID struck. Now we realize that that um, level was actually reached about 18 months ago. So 18 months earlier than we previously thought. Uh, and in particular, that means that the UK is no longer the sort of big outlier amongst the major economies that we thought. So a lot of people are saying that the UK or Brexit Britain, if you like to use that term, uh, was lagging behind other major economies. Uh, the new data suggests we're actually roughly in the middle of the pack uh, in Europe. We're still well behind the US, uh, but we're up there with Germany and, and France and, and Italy. So that's the, the good news. Um, the bad news is that the economy does seem to be losing a lot of momentum over the summer. So a lot of businesses surveys suggest that you know we're slipping into uh, a potential contraction in the in the third quarter of the year. Uh, and if that were followed by another contraction in the fourth quarter, which is certainly possible, then we're talking about what economists would call a, a recession. And the main reason for that is is obvious. So you know the impact of the big increases in interest rates we've had over the last year or so. These do take time to feed through into the economy. So you know, some people are only now, for example, seeing their mortgage rates go up, um, but they're going to face a big hit as they try and refix and uh, going to prove to be much higher rates. So the next sort of three to six months are going to be pretty tricky. Um, looking further ahead, though, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think that inflation will fall a bit more sharply over the rest of the year than, than most people think. That will take some of the pressure off the Bank of England to, to keep raising interest rates. So although I think it's far too soon to be talking about interest rate cuts, at least they may not rise as far as some people feared, and I think that will provide a bit of relief. Okay, look, but there are lots of headwinds out there. You know, slowdown in the uh, in the labour market, some commodity prices, particularly energy, are ticking up again. Uh, the government seems determined to to raise taxes further rather than rather than cut them. Um, so it's going to be a pretty difficult time, both for uh, for many households, but also many businesses too. Well, let's take a couple of those uh, bits of data. You talk about the latest data on growth, which was the month of July, which saw a really quite significant drop um, in growth. And um, can people believe it, given that within a week of uh, the, that published, a week before, they were revising something by upwards of 2%. Yeah, I, I certainly. I, I'd always take any official numbers with a with a pinch of salt. Um, in particular, the, the monthly GDP numbers are actually a, a relatively new invention, um, and they are pretty volatile. So you know, it's not unusual to get up 0.5 and then down 0.5 the following month. And on top of that, they're they're frequently revised as well. So um, I wouldn't t put too much weight on those numbers alone. But the key point is they're consistent with what we're seeing in other indicators. So as I say, the business surveys, recruitment surveys, um, they all suggest that you know things have been getting stickier um, over the summer. Um, and those numbers, that the surveys, are arguably more useful because often they're more up to date. So the figures yeah. we had today were official data for July, but we've already got surveys, business surveys for uh, August uh, and even some early data for September that suggest that things are continuing to slide. That's right. And and when you look at um, uh, the most recent unemployment figures, those figures don't tell a good story either for the north of England, the northwest and the northeast among the highest again. And I'm in the northeast. And uh, as I've said on this podcast before, most of my working life, we've been above the national average, but really high, maybe 10%. It's come significantly down in the 5% region. But the last few months, 
below national average, unheard of. Last month, but it tripped yeah, that, that, that is worrying. That is worrying. I mean, so far the the labour market has been one of the strong points in the in the economy. And that, that that's not necessarily unambiguously good news. So if you're a you know a business looking to recruit, then labour shortages and higher wage costs are a problem. Uh, it's certainly something that's worried the Bank of England as well because they think that there is a risk of what they call a wage price spiral, where you know, companies have to pay more for workers and therefore raise the prices they're charging their own customers, and then that feeds into bigger wage increases and further price rises too. So a strong labor market isn't unambiguously good news, but I'd rather have a strong labor market than a weak one. Yeah. What we're seeing now, though, is signs that the labor market is starting to turn. Um, and that, that's worrying because the labor market is often the last part of the economy to turn. Um, so it's what I call a lagging indicator. And so the fact that the labor market is now weakening reinforces the signals we're getting from from everything else in the economy that in the next six months or so are going to be pretty tough. Now, you're not of the school of thought that it's not, if it's not work, it's not hurting, it's not working. You don't believe that is necessarily the right approach, do you? Well, the point is it, it, it is already hurting. Um, so we had a period a couple of years ago when you know the, the, there's a lot of monetary stimulus in the economy, by which I mean interest rates were very low. And the Bank of England was also printing lots of money and pumping it into the economy through the policy known as, as quantitative easing. So that's you know buying government bonds and injecting cash that way. Um, so monetary policy had been very loose. Uh, but over the last year or so, it's been tightened significantly. Uh, and that is a key reason why the economy has slowed. And I think actually also it's a key reason why inflation has started to fall. Um, I think part of the problem at the Bank of England is, is that they tend to look at the wrong numbers and they're always looking backwards. So they might be looking at the, the most recent set of inflation numbers or the most recent set of labour market data. Uh, but if you step back a bit and look at the big trends in the economy, that sharp slowdown in monetary growth, meaning you know the, the tap of cheap money that have fueled inflation, that has now been turned off. Yeah. Um, now, that is potentially a, a big warning sign for the economy. But hopefully, the main way we'll see that come through is a very sharp fall in inflation. All right. Now, let's talk about inflation and interest rates. Next week, 20th and 21st, very important for the economy. Uh, anyone in business watching or listening to this will know that inflation figures are going to be out and the new interest rate will be established, whether it stays the same, goes down or goes up. Uh, so let's talk about those two things in, in sequence. Inflation first. Where, what, what's your thoughts on it? An educated guess, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think inflation will probably tick up a little bit, maybe 7 or 7.2%. Um, but I think that's now widely expected. Um, the Bank of England has been forecasting this. Um, the Treasury has been talking about it a lot. And there are a number of things I think you reasonably call special factors behind that. So you've had the, the pickup in uh, motor fuel prices. You've had an increase in alcohol duties. And there's some sort of unfavorable uh Base effects, as they're called, in the annual comparison. So some prices were were relatively weak a year ago, so they're picking up a little bit now, and I'll make the year-on-year -year comparison but worse than what it otherwise had been. Um, so I think a slight pickup in inflation shouldn't worry people too much, and certainly shouldn't worry the Bank of England too much. Um, but we're probably getting a similar story in September. Obviously, you know, global energy prices continuing to rise, uh, so the September numbers will probably be a bit sticky and above seven percent as well. Uh, but then in October, we're going to get hopefully a very big fall as the impact of the new uh, 
off-chain cap on domestic energy bills comes through. So even if we get a 7% print for August, another 7% print for September, I still think we're on track to be at 5% or below by the end of the year, which is the sort of number that the, the Chancellor was was talking about. Um, and certainly a 7% number next week, I don't think on its own will be enough to, to rattle the Bank of England too much. Now, when it comes to how that affects interest rates, uh, you say it won't rattle the Bank of England. I know people in business, and we've got shadow MPCs that I'm involved with in the north of England, uh, that want a pause in interest yeah. rates. They want the Bank of England to just say, well, all right, let's just see how it's going. It's not irrational to put uh, a bit of uh, medicine into the system and then just see if it's worked. Yeah, but I think that's 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 right. I'm, I'm on a, yeah, I'm on a, another shadow monetary policy committee down south, and we've actually been arguing that rates should be left on hold for for several months now. Um, and interestingly, there there have been one or two members of the real monetary policy committee who have agreed with us. Um, I think the the most likely outcome next week is that the the Bank of England will raise rates by another quarter point, taking them to to five and a half percent. Um, but two caveats around that. One is, um, I think that might actually be a closer call than, than 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 many people expect. I think that there might be a couple more people joining the minority and voting for for no change. Uh, but the other point, I think, even actually more important, is what the Bank of England says about where rates might be going after that. So if they're able to, you know, signal that the the move next week is going to be the last for a while, then that actually could be quite significant. It might mean that the markets start to revise down their expectations of where interest rates are going. And that in turn could actually be reflected in a fall in um, fixed rate mortgages and in, in borrowing costs for the government and, and for, for many companies as well. So it's not just what they do next week on interest rates, but also what they say about where interest rates are heading. And I think there's a very strong case for them to effectively signal, you know, one more and done. You know, you know they, they feel five and a half is enough for now. Too soon to be talking about cuts, but we can expect rates to stabilise five and a half now for quite a long period of time. And I think for, for many people, that will be seen as good news. Julian, we've had a good outing on this. Thank you very much for your expertise. We'll come back to you as we finish, but let's talk to our other two guests who run businesses and are more productive than you and I in the economy, I suppose, from that point of view. Uh, Jack uh, Sutcliffe, down the line from Bradford Power Sheds. Tell us about your business. You're fast growing. This is what it says in the Sunday Times, fastest growing businesses in the country, and you're one of them. What do you do? So yeah, we're a fairly new company, really. We're just four years old, and we, we there were two of us, myself and a colleague, Simon, who, who leased a small factory in Bradford four years ago. There were, uh, And the two of us would make sheds. We sold, I think, 14 sheds on eBay, where Simon and I would manufacture them, we'd, we'd paint them, we'd pack them, and, and we'd send them. And within uh, a year, we're up to... 300 sheds a week with 36 members of staff. We had to move from that premises to a much larger premises. Uh, with the following year, we, we got up to um, 80 members of staff producing 700 sheds a week. So we've grown quite quickly over a, a short space of time, which has led to, to yeah, being put into the, the Sunday Times Fastest 100. Well, congratulations on that. Let's introduce Jason Oakes. 0800 Repair, and you are still run a business called Oakes Energy. What's 0800 Repair do? Um, o800 repair offer a number of services um, through householders and um, social housing side of things with insulation measures, renewable technologies and air source heat pumps, power generation, that's PV and then um, battery storage. So you're going to houses, 
give them new energy systems and give them new heating systems. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going and assess the building, depending on the age, um, and we'll improve the fabric of that building. So then we can install a source heat pump, then you know that'll deliver all the heating requirements, then a bit of PV to hopefully contribute to running that um, heat pump. Well, let's ask you the question, both of you, the same question that everyone in business always asks, how's it going? How is it going? Julian wants to know that. He's an economist. How's it going, Jason? How's it going, uh, uh, Jack? You first, Jason. Well, business is not showing any signs of slowing down at the minute. Um, you know, we're, we're doing very well. Um, we're in a funny sector because, you know, we, we work for the government as well. So um, it's fuel poverty side of things as well. So we, we always looking to improve the, you know, the, the living environment of uh, people that are in the fuel poverty side of things. And Jack? How is it going with you? I looked at your prices of your sheds on your website. They look relatively competitive. Yeah, I mean, in in um in a tough market when it's um interest rates are high and people need extra space or extra storage and they can't afford to move or they can't afford a bigger house, they go for a a shed or a log cabin as a as a suitable alternative. So we, the industry that we're in doesn't uh, overly suffer too much in in a in a difficult economy. And I suppose it is still a bit price sensitive, though. I mean, uh, I was looking. You, you start. You're around four hundred starting point on your on your your price point for your your cheapest shed. But you do you do ship them to people as well, don't on a pallet. Yeah, I mean, you found that timber prices have increased that much over the past sort of three or four years that that shed prices have effectively doubled, and sheds have now become a much more considered purchase. So maybe a couple of years ago, you'd buy the the cheapest shed that you you'd buy, but now when you're spending seven eight hundred pounds on a on an eight foot by six foot shed, you you do your homework, you look at the reviews, and you you try and pick a shed that would that's going to last. So you have got the market there that's still looking for a good quality shed, and those where um, they need some extra storage, who need something a lot cheaper, will will pick something that 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 we don't really offer, which is a a cheap thinner material shed, which uh, doesn't last as long. But which will work from the ground up. I know I've got one in my garden. It's not lasted nearly long enough. Um, now talk about talk to me about things like you as a new business. You have to get into the buzzwords of life, don't you? Sustainability and equality and things like that. And I notice you have got some good uh, some good uh, policies on this, particularly on where you get the wood. And yeah, that's right. We were we were partially acquired with a uh, by a, a large company called BSW Group last year, and they. Um, BSW, part of their rebrand is stands for Building Sustainable World, Worlds, and and they own fifty percent of power sheds, and they're now our our key supplier. The the timber's all sustainable from responsible uh, forests. We do we plant three trees for every one that we cut down. Uh, the the pack the, the the shed is sent on a on a recycled pallet, package free. Uh, so there's there's it's very much a part of them, um, our, what we're doing, what we're selling. Also, our it's very important for some of our to our key key partners, so we sell on companies such as Wix and Travis Birkins, and and it's important for them as well that we do our part in that side of in that side of things. How easy is it for you as a, a business, each of you? I'll ask you both this question: to find the investment, because I know both of you have got large partners involved in different elements of your business. Uh, when it comes to the things that you need, the factory units, the new equipment, the uh, electronic. Uh, IT point of sale material and so on. All that needs funding. You're a newer business. How did you manage to fund it? So Simon and I self-funded it. We saved up a little bit of money um, 
leased that small factory, got some second-hand machinery. And because sort of 50% of our business is, is online and we get money up front, we've used that cash to, mm. to generate the investment. So we haven't needed any investment loans, you know, funding to get us to the stage that we're, we're at this moment. You've got any EDRF funding, uh, EDRF support on your website, though? Yeah, we do. We, we, we've had um, small grants from things like the Adventure Programme, who's, right. who's, in, who's uh, match-funded uh, some of the machinery that we've had. So we've had some support from, from Adventure, which has been really well-received. Uh, but uh, Sounds like it's proper this. Yorkshire thrift has done this. Yeah, we, we, we're quite tight as, as, as a frugal <laughs> potential. <clears throat> quite right, quite right. Um, what about you? What, what, what about funding your new products? Because they're expensive products. You, unfortunately, some of them have to be imported as well, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. We're a very established business, so you know we, we stand on our two our two feet effectively. Um, our investors are global, you know, a global well-known brand, um, but you know they looked at us as a potential acquisition. Unfortunately, they invested into that. Um, you know the business is booming. We're doing really well within the sector um, as a leading you know, renewable installer in the gas and sustainability side of things. So we're very fortunate on that side to to have a good good business. Now your business model, uh, Jason. Obviously, you're selling a product that's getting a bit of a bad rap. Uh, this is the air source heat pumps. Now, uh, uh, what what are you saying to customers about the extra cost? And the inconvenience and how, how the efficacy of an air source heat pump is different to central heating. How are you getting people over the over the line on this? Yeah, well, I've been installing heat pumps for 15 years and designed them personally. So they get a bad name because the the dynamics of how the you design a system probably is incorrect. So as long as you get them fundamental things and they're governed by MCS, so if the regulations are they're in place, then the heat pump will work. Unfortunately, electricity is expensive. So we complement that by the power generation side of things with PV and batteries. So we store that bit of electricity to contribute to running on your, your, your property, your demand on your property and, and what that needs. When you put a heat pump in, you do have to consider reinstating your house in, if it's a certain age, shouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. So we go in and we do full heat loss of fabric um, improvements on the building if it's required. That's internal wall insulation. Or external wall insulation, or if it's got a cavity, we'll blow insulation in there. Lofts need topping up, so we'll make that box very well insulated, so the heat pump, the demand is reduced. Therefore, it's very efficient to run. You heard Julian talking about the economy delivering workforce shortages, although there's been some blip in unemployment. How are each of you getting over the workforce issues? Uh, Jack first, how are you getting recruiting your staff? We, we've... We're in a good location because we're in we're in just off the M six or six in Bradford, next to Leeds, Bradford, uh, Cleckheath, and Halifax, Huddersfield. So we're in a, a, good, a good area. But what we've done is we've by creating a shed that's modular, we've made it fairly simple to manufacture. So by de-skilling it, uh, when we're recruiting, we don't necessarily need skilled labour. We don't need a, a joiner. We 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 look for people with the right. Yeah, the right attitude, looking to to progress, to come in, to learn, to be on time, to be there, and then we feel that we can train anybody to make uh, shed panels. So that's found recruitment quite successful by by adopting that sort of method. Fantastic. Is that the opposite with you? Because some of this new stuff needs a bit more skill, does it? Yeah, we, we've got a lot of internal highly skilled people through the gas side of things. Um, we did a program probably around about two and a half year ago where we did a transition from our gas engineers to be able to install and renewable technologies such as air source heat pumps 
in PV and batteries. So we've transferred that skill sector over. And also, we, you know, we've got a, a family basis in, you know, a, uh, we bring um, employment from from uh, you know the, the already employed um, businesses, so we bring them into the business and they're, they're part of the family as such. So yeah, you know, we have a lot of training in house and it, it, it works really. And you have well. a, a little academy, don't you? As well? Yeah, we've got a little academy that was set up with multiples of different technologies, um, SOC pump, ground source, um, solar thermal, PV, and battery storage. So it's great. We get the get the engineers down there and we cross train them. Well, thank you, lads. I'm going to ask Julian to, for a bit of a last word. These are real businesses. I, I didn't choose them for any other reason that they, they were doing well. I know them and they've got a good story to tell. But is there any takeaway from the kind of thing they were saying about their own business activity and the economy as it is now? Mm. Well, I, a couple of things I, I, I took away. That they're both around sort of, you know, flexibility. Um, the, the examples of how you respond to, to late market shortages is a, a really good one. Um, but also flexibility to to client demand. So clearly, there's a lot more interest in environmentally you know, sound and sustainable products and and ways of doing business. And so companies that are flexible and can adapt in terms of you know re recruiting people in a different way, possibly uh, producing products that they know are more highly geared to exactly what it is the market wants. Those companies are going to continue to do well, I think, in any business environment. Well, thank you, Julian. Thank you, Jack, and thank you, Jason. All our uh, contributors had a beginning with a J today, so it's easy for me. Thank you very much indeed. If you'd like to join us on a, as a guest on Northern Business Podcast, I'll be very happy uh, to uh, interview people who represent businesses like we're seeing today. Uh, you can tag my colleagues in on LinkedIn. Feel free to get in touch, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be joined next week by Katie Moss, Managing Director of Trent Refactories, and uh, innovation and growth innovation and growth specialist Pat Canvich. But that's it for this edition of the Northern Business Podcast.